0: Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Our final speaker in this morning's session, before we go to discussion, is Dr. Geraldine Stout from the National Monument Service, and she is going to tell us about her work last year, Prehistoric Ritual Practices Revealed at the Newgrange Farm Excavations. Everybody, how are you so? And um, before I start, I just want to thank uh, the Royal Irish Academy and all its staff for the wonderful support they've given me in this research project. And really, um, I should also thank, of course, my own department, the National Monument Service. And you know, the academy has, you know, has had a vital role in my research over the years and, you know, I stand truly indebted to them. Now um, I'm going to uh, talk this this morning about a remarkable new monument, um, recently discovered Stone's Throw from Newgrange. And unfortunately, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to look at the, the evidence from survey and the evidence from excavation and see how we can put this evidence together and try and reveal something about uh, ritual practices in the late Neolithic uh, in Bruneboine. And uh, this is a very nice postcard that uh, fortunately just came out, published by the National Monument Service and it shows very nicely the location of the Royal Irish Academy funded excavation and it's in the... uh, uh, have I got a pointer? But if you look in the far right hand corner of this postcard, you'll see an excavation trench, and that's our uh, academy excavation. So, um, I have a postcard for everybody in the audience, which i will which I will give out uh, uh, later. Okay, so um, we'll begin. Yeah. Now it all started in twenty fifteen um, Joanna Lee who is a geophysicist, produced this incredible image of a, a new monument just in the field below Newgrange. And I think I, you should all be able to see this image. It shows this massive uh, rectilinear enclosure uh, enclosed by two ditches uh, with an opening in the east. Uh, you saw, can you see that image well back there? Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a really strong image. And it showed a kind of central corridor in this monument um, formed by two lines of pits and then either side, in the inside of this monument, a row of larger larger pits. And what was particularly interesting about uh, this image is that it showed that the inside of the monument appeared to be um, artificially raised. So you're getting some form of linear bank that that could continued out um, of the site. Now, um, a, a, laser, a laser scan of this area provided by uh, Steve Davis to me, uh, showed very nicely that this, uh, sh- that this feature turned up. Um, um, uh, you could actually see can you see just this, the sign for new grains there? and if you go to below Newgrange you can see this kind of like long sausage kind of shaped ridge there just below and that is showing up as a a feature in a laser scan of the Newgrange area and what it shows is that um, this feature is extending even further than identified by the geophysical survey and extending into um, Newgrange farm itself and buildings. Now this is a, a more focused again laser scan of this area, um, which we've imposed the, plan- the geophysical image on that laser uh, image. And what that shows, the pink, can you see the kind of pink rectilinear feature again? That's that's kind of re- that's showing the kind of lie of the land in this area, and it's showing kind of a, a raised bank with the kind of a raised interior. So what this laser scan showed was that 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 site identified by Joanne Lee was probably at least three times the length, okay? And just to give you an idea of the scale of, of the geophysical image, it's about, I was just looking at the size of the room here, it's about four times the width of this room here and about six times the length of this room. So that gives you some idea of the scale of just the area that was identified by the geophysics. So this is a huge monument, and then we just um, we just recently prepared a closed contour survey of that area, and again that closed contour survey shows the location of this very long linear uh, monument, um, very nicely placed on the edge, right on the edge of a, a terrace or natural step below Newgrange, and so the site would have dropped quite dramatically away below below the monument, and then it's, it shows very well that it's very much aligned with the shape of that terrace. It just fit, they just fit it in really nicely into that natural step in the landscape. And it's what's one of the interesting features, again, about this site is that it's aligned at a 92 degree angle, so it's aligned east on um, the spring and autumn uh, equinox. Now, again, you see... Okay, now one of the great things about, uh, the, I suppose we'll never forget last summer, you know, I went, to, I went out, I was hoping to have a nice quiet month in the country, and uh, I was looking forward to. to uh, an excavation with the team and it was going to be nice and quiet and peaceful and then um, suddenly all these these new monuments started to appear all around us while we were excavating. And one of the great, uh, the values of the, the drought conditions last summer is that it produced even more evidence and more structural detail for this monument. And this is an image um, uh, published by our National Monument Service showing yet again um, the rectilinear enclosure here um, heading out into the gardens of of this house. And again it's showing um, the series, the the two ditches and uh, the inner rows of pits and the opening in the entrance to the site but one of the interesting features of this particular image is that it's showing a lot more features outside the opening of the site. It's showing a whole kind of arc of pits and hollows, a whole range of of activities going on at the entrance to the site here. So we put um, an application to the Academy and they were very good to us and they gave us a grant to uh, put one single trench through this monument. Um, we, I'll just show you, we uh, just, this this black, this again, this is another image from the National Monument Service and it shows, um, I think it shows the monument extremely well, it's high resolution photograph again and we put this trench through a section of the monument to try and identify the, um, the ditches, the pits um, that we were seeing in the image. Um, the geophysical image uh, of the site and the aerial photographic evidence. And our, the reason we wanted to excavate this site was to get some idea of um, what date it was, the purpose of the site and how it fitted in t- into the broader context of the Brunaboyne because this is this is a unique monument within uh, Brunaboyne. Um, it's uh, very hard to find parallels in that area for this exact site. So we, we didn't know what date it was, it could have been 70th century AD, you know, it could have been a, a, at one stage. I, I wanted it to be a medieval, the footprint of a medieval barn, but after a lot of counselling I've got over that and so I've lived with this. So it tur- at least it turned out, well, we t- well we'll hear what it turned out to be anyway. So anyway, we put a, we put a section through uh, kind of half the width of the side to catch the ditches and to catch the, the, the features inside. And, and me, you know, um, so this is a, a general view of that trench and we, we did identify all the features that were showing up in the geophysical image. We, we, ident- we, we identified the, very, the base um, of the post pits on the inside, you can see them here. This is looking from the inside of the monument out. That huge hole there in the middle of the trench is just half of of this great pit that we emptied. And then we found the remains of these very shallow trenches on the outside. So we're we're basically inside the monument. If you're looking that way and this way, you're, you're, you're surrounded, almost like being in this room here. So these are just. This is just. Um, uh, this is part of the the outer ditch, the base, the truncated remains of the outer ditch of the defining boundary to this site. And it was quite. You know, it was. Re- it's relatively it's only about a metre and a half wide, um, and just you can see it here there. But one of the. the the relevance of this particular site is that it produced enough charcoal to be able to produce a radiocarbon date and we got our date of 2632 BC from the charcoal. So we we knew that this was going to be a late Neolithic prehistoric monument. This is the inner, this is the inner ditch uh, of the site and what we were able to show here is that. There was quite a lot of recutting of the inner ditch. And we can see that in both the section face and in the site here. So there was obviously there was a sequence of activity on the site, and the inner ditch that defined the boundary of the site had been recut on a number of occasions. Again, this produced a lot of charcoal. And then this is a section we could only excavate. The, the great pits are about five meters from here maybe to that second chair. No, it would be, that's, yeah, I suppose it would, no, it wouldn't. From here to maybe there but these are huge pits, okay? They're five meters in diameter. Um, It took us um, a couple of weeks to empty half of this pit, okay? And in the bottom of this pit, we found that, um, we found these uh, heat these boulders that had been that were, had gone red from such intensity of heat and they lined the base of the pit and above the pit we found a sequence of uh, charcoal and red burnt clay and in those charcoal deposits we found the remains of animal bones where there had been um, animals brought into this pit and, uh, and cooped in this pit. Okay, Uh, um, there's very, these are almost like, um, I've seen parallels for barbecue pits if you like um, in other, outside of Ireland where you get these stone lined pits, you put the charcoal in, you put the animal in and you put a kind of red clay over it and it kind of burns. Well, the sequence of deposits we got on for these pits were very similar to these large barbecue pits. And what you have to remember is that that pit is just one of a whole, of two rows of pits. Found on, on the site, when we um, the bone material from that pit uh, was mainly cattle, uh, with some possible and some possible pig identified by Fiona Beg Lane. Now, the site was um, a, was cle- very clean. We were not we weren't getting we weren't getting a lot of habitation evidence, but we found we f- we found the only uh, like. Um, Finds from the prehistoric period were flints. We found 88 uh, lithics of chert, flint, and quartz, and we, found, we did find some scrapers, barbed and tanged arrowheads, and but m- most of the flint was a very um, f- was very poorly worked. Like Connor Brady said, it was all like they were kind of like ad hoc kind of expedient pieces, like literally people were moving through the site and were kind of knocking the the flint, maybe just for the day, you know the way. And So they weren't very well uh, worked flints. They were basically worked very quickly, stones that were worked very quickly for a purpose, for a particular moment in time. Now we did, we we sieved every, uh, fr- all the, the material from every possible archaeological deposit. Um, we tried to squeeze as much uh, information out of uh, what we were excavating. Okay, And uh, the, uh, these are some of the wonderful team that we had on the site. And the, the main finds we were getting once we went down into prehistoric levels were flints. They were the only finds after in, in very meticulous sieving on the site. And um, we had a, an on-site environmental archaeologist, Dr. Penny Johnson, and she um, sampled 25, 25 bulk, bulk uh, samples uh, uh, of deposits were processed on site. And the only, um, we found huge amount of charcoal but no seeds, no cereals were found on the site. This is a clean, this is a, cle- this is a clean site. People aren't living in this site. People aren't settling in this site. Um, these were all protests. Um, to save money or whatever to get as much done on the site we actually had wet sieving sieving going on of all these deposits and this is just Laura who's a great, who who loved the wet jobs and she she did all the wet sieving on site and so everything that we, every every sample was actually processed by the time we left the monument. And then we also had preliminary look at the animal remains from the pits and uh, this is Catherine Bonner here and they were later identified then by, uh, by Fiona Beg Lane um, as cattle and possibly pig bones from that pit. Now, once the, um, once the excavation, we, we, one of the points I suppose I should make is that we were very surprised at how far down we had to go because given the strong image that we were getting in the geophys, we expected to be taken the sod off. And finding pits and post holes. and you know, as we started going down a metre, we're going, where is this site? You know, where is it? We were starting to kind of panic, you know. And uh, but eventually, then we got down into the features. But the, you know, maybe because it was on this second step in the in the in the brew. Um, even there was a lot of soil creep onto the site but there was hu- like a huge depth of buried material because I worked, the, I worked on the excavations in the Boyne and usually you took the sod off and you were straight in the Neolithic. So we were very surprised to have to go down so far. But anyway, this section here gives you a great, I suppose, a sense of how deep we had to go to get down into those levels, those ditches and pits and this is just well, like part of the excavation is you, you must record the section faces and then you must do measured plans of all the features, okay? And that's, that's a, and, and that because the section face tells, tells the story as you go down, it tells the story of the site. Section faces never lie, they are the story, of uh, the sequence of activity as you go down the site. So we recorded the sections and then we did detailed plans of all the features on on the site, and then you end up with a, with a small section looking like this. This is a section of plan, but this is this is the story. This is the story of the site. So in the section face, um, the grey material that you can see down in the middle, where it, the grey is the inside of the monument, and that is that is material that was brought in. That's part of it. It seemed like the inside of the monument was was artificially raised, and the, the, both the pits and the post holes were cut into that bank so that bank was there before uh, the pits and post holes were cut into it so we have with the section of the pits we have the great the great pit and then we have um this, the, the bottom of the ditches and that orange material we interpreted as bank material between the two ditches that was about six meters by a meter high and it's it's between three metres between ditches. So we, we, ident- my, I'm bad at maths, but at least I can, I can roughly say that the bank was probably about two metres high. If you take it, if you look at the, the three metres between the ditches, we're talking about a bank at uh, about three metres, uh, two metres high, um, enclosing the site. Inside the plan show again shows going from the left to the right the pits the great pit which gives you an idea of how large it is compared to the inner pits and the two ditches. There. So, um, so what have we got? So what have we got? Well this is our first vision, this is the first visualization, this is hot off the presses, this is our first visualization of what we think we have. We think we have um, a, curses, we believe we have a, a what we call a curses monument. Or a ceremonial avenue, okay, a place uh, where worshippers would have uh, uh, would have gathered, and in procession um, moved through um, a, a sacred landscape to other monuments. So we've got this very open monument. We have in the centre we have um, timber uprights forming um, like a corridor, like a bit like here, a corridor going through, and people processing through the site. On either side, we have the, these open pits, where either people were putting votive um, um, deposits into the pits, or they were they were there to feed uh, people who would have gathered um, in the late Neolithic in, in this area. So I think that's it's a start, and that I think it's it's showing uh, an open. We believe this to be an, an open monument. We don't believe that it was used for settlement. As I said, it was quite a clean interior. We think people were moving through the site. So you're talking about some kind of linear uh, ceremonial ceremonial, uh, avenue. And then we've also shown the posts at the entrance here. And then we have some people coming down from Newgrange there at the top into into the site. And these are some more... uh, uh, sh- uh, drawing showing activity within the monument. And so these are my main. These are the main. First of all, it was used for ceremonial. We believed it was used for ceremonial processions during the late Neolithic. Um, it, people guide. It was. It guided movement through through this area. And um, uh, there's probably some evidence for votive deposits going on, and it's creating links with other monuments. How am I doing for time? Am I great, oh, right. Now, one of the things we know that this isn't an isolated monument. Okay, it's 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 part of a whole complex because we know from previous work and from reports published in the academy itself that there was a there, around there was around 2800 BC there was this renewed phase of public monument building in the Boyne Valley, and this this table here of dates here from the Boyne shows the cluster of dates for passage tombs and then you move on and then you've got these clusters of dates for timber circles, pit circles and then our curses is in there. So th- this represents a second phase of public monument building in the Boyd Valley. And this is, this is at a height and, and, a st- and a scale as big probably as the tombs themselves. And we, th- so Newgrange curses fits very nicely into this new phase of public monument building, and these monuments are much more open, they're much more socially inclusive than the tombs, where you've a small group of people um, kind of going into the, the, the chambers. And you know, um, it, it, it can't, I, I can't emphasise enough the role of the Academy in you know in research over the years in the Boyne Valley, because we know from work published reports, excavations published in the Academy, um, directed by David Sweetman, uh, That there was a whole, that there was a very large timber so- circles um, used for, uh, dating from the late Neolithic, were built just at the periphery of Newgrange. And then we've got the, we've got the cursus there again. And then this is, the, this is the site that David Sweepman excavated and he found evidence for an enclosed area, enclosed by timber uprights and then these pits that contained votive offerings. You know, this is a circular site but you know, quite similar things are happening here that were happening down in, in my site or our site. And then we've then we've got the, um, so, Should I say, am I allowed to say my site? The people site, the people site, the Ireland site, okay? And then we've got the Henge Monuments, part of that great public monument building are these great earthen amphitheaters and like in the 90s the Academy published a survey of these, um, these monuments and then you know, you've got one down by the river here. These are all open sites, all part of, within the, the, the periphery of Newgrange. And then, of course, this great image, um, which I don't know, you probably all, all see this wonderful image of all these new Henge monuments uh, found uh, within the floodplain of Brune Boine, um last summer, or in tw- 2018. And so ma- the, the new Grange farm site fits in very well as part of that greater arena of activity in the late Neolithic. And it probably did guide movement um, of worshippers through this area onto these, these sites here. we have got that great work going on. And you know, and so I think we have to reassess a lot of those early excavations published by the Academy and kind of, you know, look at the, the results then again and compare it with what's happening here to get a fuller picture of what was happening in, in the Boyne in the late Neolithic. And then we've also got this this, uh, great, this this what's going on also since 2010. We have this wonderful uh, blanket geophysical coverage of the Boyne again. Since 2010, there's been massive geophysics um, going on in this area. And this is producing um, a lot, uh, many new prehistoric monuments, henges and pit uh, pit alignments as well. So there's a huge body. of evidence um, which needs to be assessed uh, for this period when Newgrange Farm uh, Curses was built, and like you know, one of the things is where is the influence for this, for for these changes taking place and you know, I would put my money on, um, I think there's very close links at this time, um, much closer links with Britain than Europe in the, when the, during the tomb building period the emphasis on links with Atlantic Spain and France but I think the links are much closer with Britain and it's probably a good time to, to, I suppose to in the context of Brexit to emphasize that at the late Leolithic, we were getting on ground, we were getting those very close links between Ireland uh, and Britain. And you look at landscapes uh, like Stonehenge where you've got these cursus monuments and stone and, and stone and wooden hinges. That is exactly the same type of ceremonies and ritual that's going on in Bruna Boyne so I think um, I that's I suppose it's it's that's another day's talk I have done a lot of work comparative work on sites in England but there isn't time today to talk about those but I think the influence are, is coming from suggesting a change of axes and connections between Bruna Boyne and um, and Britain at that time so uh, so just again thank a million people thank you the uh, the Academy, the National Monument Service, Newgrange Farm, um, the uh, the Office of Public Works, all the wonderful volunteers that worked on the site, the specialists, um, the great photographs produced by Anthony Murphy and Ken Williams and all the people who came. We had thousands of people I'd say who came to the site when we excavated and so it was a wonderful opportunity to discuss what what was happening with them. And um, there's a postcard for everyone in the audience, and I'll just stop at that. Thank you.